electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! What are you looking at, butthead? Nobody calls me chicken needles. Nobody! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Welcome back to Hitchcock. Nope. Spielberg. It's been a while since I did that. Spielberg Chronologically, this is the podcast for myself and Eric. Hey, how's it going? We go through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order. Um, I think I have Hitchcock on the mind because uh, Mark, uh, my podcast partner and friend over at the uh, movie draft house had tagged me in a thing that said hey is there anything is there seriously a bad hitchcock movie i've seen a bunch and i was like oh. <laughs> so i got into a, a writing up a dissertation on twitter as much of one as you could write about the ones that i did not enjoy but anyway that's uh that's why i had hitchcock on the brain so uh it is a bonus week um and i, I we have to almost recreate the conversation we had off air um as to why we're specific why we're why we're doing what we're doing why we're, why it's going to be back to the future because obviously if you have you looked at your app you can see this is titled back to the future um so we got off and we're, and we're like hey what movie do we want to do as a bonus let's treat ourselves and so, yeah, so we were talking about possibilities. There's Gremlins, there's Goonies, there's American Tale. There are a lot of a lot of directions you can go, explorers with like Spielberg produced movies mm-hmm. uh, from this era. And uh, so then we we you know started chatting about Back to the Future, and I said you know like I've seen the original Back to the Future. It, it's probably the movie that I've seen the most times in my life. Like if not, then it's in like the top five. You yeah, know, like I've seen I've seen Back to the Future like a lot. Yes, but I have never seen Back to the Future three. And you've seen two. I have seen two. I've seen two less than one. Oh. And I was thinking about it during because you reacted strongly. I, I well, yes. That. Listen, that we spent so much time you calling me an uncultured swine, I think, at one point. <laughs> yeah, I, I've used those exact words. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uncultured swine. That's exactly what I said. No, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about what happened here. Okay, so uh, when the first one came out, I was perfect age for it, right? I was probably 13 or 14 years old. I saw it in the theater. It was right when video was taken off. So, you know, I rented it at the 7-Eleven, just like Color Purple. Uh, You know, I rented it at my grandparents. At one point, my grandfather banned Back to the Future. Because you watched it so damn much. (laughs) Because every time my cousin and I were there, we would rent it and watch it over and over again. He banned Back to the Future from the house. Yeah, so... Uh, but then, you know, by the time two came around, I was in high school, I was drinking beers, I was hanging out, I was chasing girls, I was doing high school things. So it was like definitely like less of a priority. I was less in that, that golden range, you know? So I saw it, I think on video, I didn't get it to the theaters to see it. I saw it on video. I enjoyed it. I'm definitely less well-versed on it, you know, like it's it's not so it's not ingrained in my brain the way the first one is. Then the third one came out in 90. 
So that was either my senior year of high school or my freshman year of college. There was no way I was going to be like going to the theater to see Back to the Future. Like I, I just, you know, it was not even probably on my radar, you know. Um, so I, I think that's what happened. It just kind of fell into that crack. There was yeah. probably a two year period there where I was just totally distracted by other things in life and wasn't paying attention to movies. And uh, so I think I think that's what happened. It just fell through the cracks. I just I, and I never went back and saw it. And I own it. I've got the like Back to the Future Blu-ray set. Oh, it's uh, good. I, I had the DVD set. <laughs> that DVD just... set, my brother got me for my birthday one year, and I was like, "Oh, baby!" Because I didn't, you know, they weren't on DVD until that came out, and I was like, right. "Oh, because it's, uh just the series as a whole to me is wonderful and." Uh, I would say that this first film is uh, borderline perfect. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can get down with that. I can get down with borderline perfect, like, um, it's particularly like for its time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, watching it last night, I was you know watching for for flaws, and uh, there's not a lot. There's not a lot there. You the know? only thing like, that comes to mind is the green screen at the one brief moment and it's not even that bad yeah um but like the good outweighs the bad like the way the way it plants easter eggs within itself for itself is just remarkable yeah you know that that first like 15 minutes of the movie when he's in 1985 the amount of stuff that they're able just to like shove into the frames like around the edges of the frames that comes into play later in the movie yeah and and, and again what were you doing only if you're middle? paying attention yeah. you know like only if you're paying attention will you pick up on this you know like like the what guy, were you the drunk- doing in the middle of the road george what lorraine what <laughs> The drunk guy on the bench at the end is the mayor in 1955. He's red. I which... never noticed that. <laughs> so you know how at the beginning, like uh, Goldie's Goldie's car is going through town. You yeah. know, vote for Goldie, change and prosperity or whatever. And then when he goes back to 1955, it's vote for red, change and prosperity. At the end, the drunk guy on the bench is red. (laughs) (laughs) I blew your mind. I blew your mind. You're aware of the pines, right? Of course. The twin twin pines and the lone pine. Okay. Yeah. That That, that one blew my mind about 10 years ago. I think I saw it on like cracked.com or something like that, and I had never picked up on it before. Yeah, that one's iconic. Um, The way the the film does little things like that, that, you know – continue to reward you 30 years later you know like you're just now hearing about red you know like there's so much stuff like packed into the edges of this movie that uh that you still pick up and so i imagine that just continues exponentially over the next two um you know like it'll just keep kind of rhyming with itself as we watch the next ones i I would say that you would have the sequels are more of echoes of the original. I think the original, when it comes to that sort of planting of seeds, um, kind of does it the best. And I, um, I, I don't know. I don't want to get too deep into it, but like to me, the sequels are, man, Back to the Future was great, and the, well, that's one. Two is super original and fun. Okay, I'm done. All right, it's awesome. They're awesome. Um. <laughs> 
so yeah like you said the the easter eggs are great uh but the, i can't pick a favorite performance i know just everything is great um if you i'm obviously michael j fox but i mean tom wilson as biff tannen it's perfect it, it's perfect yes. i mean when he's older and he's this just you know 50 year old jerk 40 year old jerk or whatever and he's overweight and he's just he's so sleazy and then he's so big and huge and imposing when he's young and just so funny he's, all five all five of the primaries are absolutely stellar yeah he, you know yeah there's no Chris, crispin glover is <laughs> amazing uh and and you know like i love it when he shows up in other stuff and and i'm sad that he doesn't show up in other stuff more yeah uh because when he does friday the 13th it's always, part four baby it's always great like he's always great when he shows up in things and i just wish that he was around apparently he's more, hard to work you know? with i think um but I, I'm not certain about that. I would only be speculating. Um, yeah. Leah but, Thompson is fantastic. Yeah. She's um, great. Oh, I, I had a crush on her. She. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, like, like, huge, huge. Yeah. Like, at, at, at that age, the most beautiful woman in the world and <laughs> was then, Leah Thompson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, Christopher Lloyd is Doc, which I'm sure we'll get into. But then this is the only appearance appearance of Claudia Wells as Jennifer Parker, who... Yeah, she gets replaced, right? By, by Elizabeth by Shue. Elizabeth Shue, yeah. Who is much better. Uh, what? Nah, I don't know. Cause she, Jennifer... nah, you know, yes. Yeah, definitely. Much better. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let you pull back on that because she was kind of, and I know, I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but she's the one person who kind of rings false in this film. Okay. Like, she's just a little stiff, you uh -huh. know? Like, I can see why they took a look at it and said, eh, you know, like, if we're going to expand this part, maybe we need to get somebody else in here. You know, she's just a little stiff. Um, and the only one in the movie who is a little stiff, you know? Yeah. And, and I think it's, it might be because she was a holdover from the Eric Stoltz casting. And when they ditched him out of the movie, you know, like maybe she paired with him a lot better than she pairs with Michael J. Fox. I don't know. Uh, but when they did like yank Eric Stoltz out of the movie and replace him with Michael J. Fox, then maybe they should have considered recasting her as well at that point. I don't know. Yeah. Could just be a chemistry issue, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, of course, uh, Mr. Strickland is awesome. Oh yeah, uh, James Tolkien. Not related. Have you ever seen him in anything else besides this and Top Gun? Like I see him and I just think Top Gun. I just know? think like, this. But uh, let me look through his catalog. I don't remember him from anything but those two. Oh, he was in Bone Tomahawk. Oh no, shit. <laughs> we we love Bone Tomahawk. I've seen Bone Tomahawk. So <laughs> I, I listened to your Bone Tomahawk episode of of. Uh, Probably. the other podcast oh thank you i love it so much man yeah um problem child too um so uh yeah and then there's the goldie wilson's awesome and you've got the uh the cronies for young biff one of which is billy zane 
the very first time I've ever noticed that was last night when I was watching really? this Really? Okay. Good. Never picked up on it. Because the other two just kind of stick out a little more. They have lines. Billy Zane doesn't. Yeah. You know? And, and so he's just kind of that, like, fourth dude who's there. And my wife actually pointed out. She was like, is that Billy Zane? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's Billy Zane. Like, I had no idea he was in this movie. But, yeah, yeah. that's totally him. Uh, yeah, I mean, that runs down. The, the cast is superb. There's just too much goodness. Wait, one more. I got one more. The sister. Do you remember when we were watching 1941? No. And we were we were ta- <laughs> we were talking about the uh, the main girl's kind of larger friend okay. who was man crazy, and I kept saying I've seen her in something before, and okay. I can't place it. That's her. Okay. Like as soon as she showed up on screen last night, I was like, "Biggity bam, I got it. I like I know who it is. It's her, you know? Like Okay. It's been nagging at me this entire time. So, I never noticed. Well, obviously I didn't notice that, but and she's kind of less her face is covered a lot to me like in this movie. Her, her hair is down a little more and she's definitely more subdued, you know? Yeah. She's Marty, you know, she's kind of like more chill and the brother is uh, Jimmy Olsen from the old Christopher Reeve Superman movies. Good for him. Yeah, man. All right. So, we like the cast. Pretty pretty good setup. So, um, why, I, don't, why don't you give me your history with this movie? Because I, I already kind of talked about mine. I don't What's, know. Okay, uh, so... Or is it just one of those things where it's just always been no, there? No, I won't say that. Because I will actually say that I saw this when I was younger. Much younger. And because this came out when I was like five. So I remember being scared by it where there's this scene where Marty's hand is going missing. And um, like there's something about that that like stuck with me. And I was like, whoa, I don't know about this movie. There are a lot of movies that fall in that category where I watched them when I was really, really young. and, And there's something about them I didn't like and then came back to them and they were amazing which would be like this, Ferris Bueller. Um, I just came back to him like kind of in my teenage years, and they were like, oh, my gosh. And so, yeah, a while, like I I remember being home, and me and my brother were just put, we just put it in, and it was amazing. I was like 12 or so, and it blew me away at that point. And so ever since then, I've just been watching them over and over. They're superb. They are, they are superb. And just as far as like little kids go, I will say this film absolutely holds up. It still works for kids. We just showed it last night when we were watching it. My, uh, my two kids are five and nine. And then my two nieces were over spending the night with us last night. And they're in that age range as well. And they all just sat there and watched the thing. You know, and we're totally entertained by it. I'm not, you know, they're obviously not picking up on some of like the deeper aspects of it, but just on a surface level, you know, like the tension that builds at the end and Marty's hand disappearing and Doc can't stick the wires together and that then the old the other sequence. wire unplugs, you know, like they're like all of them are just like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> like so on that level, it it really still works, you know, like it hasn't lost a beat over the last. 30 40 years that final sequence still works on me when he's on the clock tower and he's got to go and like that i still get tense 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Like it's it's never stopped over the hundred however many times I've seen this movie. It's never stopped working for me. And now I've gotten a little smarter. I kind of space it out a little more. You know, it's like once a year, once every two years that I'll yeah. watch this. You know, so it's not. You know, so so it can still work on me. Yeah. yeah. Good. Well, um, how many people don't know the plot to this film? Uh, yeah. We. <clears throat> Okay. Do we do we have do we, do we I mean we I, don't need to, right? I don't like, think we really need to. I think we could get more into like it, Doc Brown. Yes. And, and is he a good man? <laughs> I mean It's funny that you asked this because I did, you know, the last time we did a bonus episode, I I didn't prepare any questions for you and this time it seemed a little disappointed. So I I, I this time I did. <laughs> And one of one of my questions is: Is Back to the Future ultimately a selfish movie? Like, it, it, I'm thinking about the motivations of Marty and Doc. Like, they have this tremendous power at their fingertips, right? Mm-hmm. And the the plot of the movie, the story, the things that they engage with are all very personal to them. You know, they they it's all about like getting Marty's family straightened out and, you know, Doc's excited because he's going to finally invent something worthwhile. Yeah, but it's all very centered just around the two of them, their experiences, their motivations, their future, their past uh, and what's going to ultimately benefit them. Right. Mm-hmm. So. If you think about it in a broader scope, if you take a step back from the obviously entertaining fun of this movie and you think about what they could be doing with this time machine, are they squandering an opportunity to, like, help the entire world, you know, like... To go back and 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 like really think through meticulous changes they could make, you know, and, and and like try to benefit all mankind instead of I'm going to finally invent something, that, you know. Well, so my short answer would be no, I because I think what happens over the course of all of okay, at least let's start with this movie. Um, and we'll, we'll ask that question every time. Um, but in this movie, they just circumstances put them in the place where they have to be selfish, right? And they have problems that they have to address right, immediately. They pretty much immediately accidentally go back to 1955. It was not a choice. Um, oh, one question that maybe you can answer that I never understood. He says, here's a red letter day in science. November 5th, 1955. Why does he say that? Because that's the day that he invented the flux capacitor. No. Because he's he reminded- falls off the toilet. He falls off the toilet and hits his head on the toilet or something. But when, and- <clears throat> when he says it, he goes, here's a red letter day for science. November 5th, 1955. And then he goes, of course. November 5th, 1955. And he remembers. So I've always taken it as a date in science that also corresponded with the fact that he invent came up with a flux capacitor that day. Well, then the question becomes, is he suddenly, is he, 
because he is going through the act of typing in that and setting Marty's course into the past, does he suddenly remember everything that happened? Before that, he doesn't. At that point, he does. Because he's doing something that is altering the course. Do you think? Mm-hmm. I got a lot more on that in a bit, but <laughs> I want to go back to your. I got. I want to. I want to go back to your initial question of is Doc, Doc a good man? Because I'm curious as to what you were thinking of. Like I, I launched into my uh, their selfish thing, and I'm curious of what you were thinking of uh, when you asked that question. Um. So the plutonium. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> is the big one. <laughs> so if you don't know, which you probably do, everyone, go watch Back to the Future if you've not seen it. But Doc has to use plutonium to power the time machine. So there's some Libyans that are um, terrorists that have stolen plutonium, and they they want him to make a bomb. So they give it to him, and he in turn gives them a, a bomb casing filled with shoddy pinball parts. I guess you could argue that, well, he did prevent them from getting their hands on a bomb. But why would they come to him in the first place? Like, you have to ask yourself, like, what circles is he traveling in to establish a reputation where they would bring him the plutonium and ask him for a bomb in the first place, right? Like... What sort of long game is he playing to get himself to that point where they're going to give him plutonium for a bomb? Like, it's not like they just looked up scientists in the phone book and were like, hey, we've got this plutonium. Will you build us a bomb? Right. Like, there had to be some serious stuff leading up to that exchange, right? So that is a really legitimate question that I hadn't really put a lot of consideration into before you asked it, but... Yeah. What the hell has he been doing with himself? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, because you go to his house and you see all his other inventions and they're relatively innocent. They're something that feeds the dog or the most gigantic amplifier for a guitar of all time. Um, He's dead in that scene, but um, <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's all kinds of fun, goofy stuff that maybe Pee Wee Herman would have in his house. Um, but so he wants the time machine for innocent purposes, just to go ahead into the future and see what life is like. And over the course of his adventure... Like it, so he has this rule early on where I'm not going to change anything, right? And right. he goes back in time, and even old Doc knows we're not changing anything. You don't want to know too much about your fate. And then at the end of this movie, he's okay. He's read the letter that Marty wrote him, so he knows to protect himself. And then, oh, another thing. He just has a gun with him, um, you know, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, again, what has he been doing with himself? And then at the end I'll of the movie, like fire. you said, he the whole time he's like, no, you can't change. You can't change. You shouldn't know anything about your fate. And at the end of the movie, he rolls in, just grabs up Marty like, 
Exactly. We got to go into the future and learn about your fate. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Jock is a little inconsistent. I think he's appropriately insane, which will still fit the the character. Like him being inconsistent doesn't mean he's uh, poorly written. He's just consistently inconsistent. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've always taken the pinball parts as just this wackadoodle thing that he did, you know. But and the other thing is, he's going to get in his time machine and just go cavorting off into time and, and leave these Libyan terrorists who are still trying to build a bomb just, like, hanging out in 1985. <laughs> you know, like, no, don't worry about calling the authorities or anything about these guys yeah, trying maybe to build right, a nuclear bomb. Just go ahead off into... 2035 or whatever that maybe hell, right you know? before you take off you send a letter <laughs> you know right and they're not right. gonna like at that point they're not gonna be able to find you because you're 30 years in the future but look yeah. for the blue vw van with the with the rocket launcher yeah <laughs> those guys are trying to blow up new york it just it does kind of seem like an important piece of information to leave behind right yeah, i sure. would think so now like as soon as uh, Marty gets back to 1955 like the movie gets so good uh, I just love the sets and the scenery and the brightness of oh and the music Mr. Sandman Mr. will Mr. never Sandman. not remind me of this yeah, yeah. Uh, as he's walking around. and all the set pieces that are different right you know when the they make a point of showing you Hill Valley in 1985 where the the cafe on the corner is currently a yoga studio or a I don't know what you call it, but that's the best thing I can come up with. And just, you know, all the the movie theater is a porn theater and just a way worse place. Uh, or at least in the way the city is portrayed. It's in a much better physical state. It's all clean and nice and new. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... I'm having a hard time. <laughs> I've seen this movie so many times. It's like, what do we really talk about? That yeah, that, that hasn't yeah. been said. It's I, I had the I had the same struggle uh, when I was coming up with things. Um, so I I started trying to like think about the themes of the movie, you know, and um, it all to me like so much of the movie hinges on George and George's choices. And what, you know, like all of the changes in Marty's life uh, between the two versions of 1985 all kind of hinge on George, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, George, either 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 you work for Biff or Biff works for you, you know? And like there's this there's this turning point in George's life, George's life where he goes from working for Biff uh, and, and now, now Biff works for him, you know? And that's uh, kind of the... The way that the movie expresses this overall life theme, you know, like you can say in your life, either you're working for Biff or yeah. Biff is working for you, you know, and it's all about your confidence to, to grab things. Um, and, and so like that led me to think about, wow, the whole family's kind of well-being all hinges on George's success right it all yeah. hinges on the success of the and dad his self-confidence like and and his self-confidence and and that struck me as interesting and maybe a little dated too because throughout the movie uh lorraine has really not a lot to do with the outcome of the movie like yeah sh- she is the prize to be won 
right? Mm-hmm. And both Biff and George want her, but she wants Marty. <laughs> Twisted as that is, so um, so <laughs> so like that. she she's the decision maker as as far as like what happens in the future, but realistically, the changes are the result of changes in George's life, right? Um, so like just just things that I was thinking about that I hadn't really considered before. Um, well, I remember being in high school, and my English teacher. I don't want to say his name, but I remember him very distinctly. He was like a writer and he wrote some article in some hunting newspaper years ago. And he just was like, like he taught writing and whatever. He was just one of those guys who's kind of up his own ass a little bit. And he was so morally objected to this movie because of the incest plot line. Uh, She's trying to have sex with her son. It's so messed up. I'm like, but she doesn't know it's her son, you know, like it's not like she's knowingly. And then when she does kiss him, she's like, this is wrong. Like, I know this is wrong. And so I was like, what? it's not. I mean, yeah, if they did, you know, get it on or whatever, it'd be bad. But the movie portrays it as not a good thing. Marty yeah. at no point is like into it, <laughs> you know, no, like he he's definitely like like squirming the entire time, yes. which is where a lot of the humor in the movie comes from is his discomfort with the entire situation and how it just keeps escalating and escalating like everything he does. Like he he never does the wrong thing, right? He's always trying to do the right thing and prevent bad things from happening to Lorraine. But every time he does, she gets just that much more enamored with him. And and so that's where a lot of the I can't I can't imagine somebody really being that like morally opposed to this film based on the incest because the incest never happens. Well, you know, right. like and there's there's not... there's attraction between two relatives who don't realize one of them doesn't realize that they're relatives, right? right? Which which I imagine has happened in real life. I can't imagine that there haven't been like cousins that met who were attracted to each other. And then like, Oh, it comes out out that they're cousins and they're like, Oh damn it. You know, like there's a weird song about that. Um, I mean, I'd like, that's just some real life business right there. You know, like, uh, and it's a little squirmy and it's a little kind of, it's crazy. Yeah. But it, it, but that's the point. Like, that's what's making it funny, you know? And it's not, um, and it's always how to me, how it's portrayed. And it's not portrayed as a good thing. Like, you're not rooting for them to hook up. You know? No, there's like, no, there's no titillation in it is right. what it is. You know, like, it's, it's not. But wait uh, a minute. Why does he not have pants on when he's in the bed there? Like, so. Because she could, takes his pants off. <laughs> she just takes them off. She just takes Why? them off. She's so insane because she's insane. Like it's clear that she's like, I don't know why to say she's insane, but she is certainly forward and she's certainly a lot more experienced than she portrays herself to be oh, like in 1985, absolutely, yeah. you know, and she's drinking and she's smoking and she's saying, Oh, I've parked before. This is not new to me, you know? And, and she wants to portray herself to her kids as this kind of virginal innocent when she met George, when it, the reality is nah, she's taken off a stranger's pants, you know, while he's passed while he's out. out. While oh, he's out. God. That's the morally <laughs> objectionable part. She's taking advantage of this guy. 
Well, this movie does not shy away from the idea of sexual assault. You know, like, oh, it is. Dude. It, it, it was interesting. We were watching it last night and my nine year old kept saying, what is he trying to do to her? Like, why? Like when Biff has her in the car, right. you know, and uh, we we're like taking advantage of her. What do you mean taking advantage of her? Uh, like, well, we'll talk about it later. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot about this scene. Yeah, exactly. Because he's full on trying to rape her. Um, he is. He is in full rape mode. Biff, that is Biff a... should be in jail. Like Biff, yes. Biff, catches, Biff, Biff catches a cross, you know, to the chin. But he should really be in jail. This guy is like a brute. Yeah. And I think and that's one of the things coming in as an adult that you forget, like going back to. Biff is sort of this, you know, you like the character and then you get to that scene. You're like, oh, yeah. Well, even when they're in the cafeteria and he's all, you know, you want it. You know, yeah. you want me to give yeah. it to you. Blah, blah. Yeah. You know, he's like groping on her and all hands. He and is everything. the worst. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, Biff is so Biff is not a good man. One thing I've always liked about this movie and Marty in particular is, is Squirrelly's his dad is Marty never. Even though he flees at points, it's he's not really ever backing down from Biff. Like in the moments where, okay, I gotta fight Biff. I'm I'm just gonna do it. You know, like in that cafeteria where Biff is pushing him and talking. After the second push, he pushes Biff back. They both grab each other and put their fists up. And Marty would get clobbered by. But Marty's gonna go. I he's mean, gonna like, fight. He, he's just like yeah. And I I think that's the big difference between him and. You know, George is George is just going to sit sit there and take it. I'm not into confrontation where Marty's like, all right, I guess we're going to fight. Like, I'm not going to be the guy you steamroll. Sure, you could beat me up, but you're going to have to. And uh, um, like, I, I, I always like that about Marty. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a little bit of Marty and probably a little bit of George in all of us. You know, like, I mm-hmm. think I think when I was a kid. I was a George until I was pushed too far and then I became a Marty. Yeah. You know, like I, I was the kid that would get like pushed around to a point and then I wasn't going to get pushed anymore. And then, you know, there by I saw red and it was time for murders, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, I could say that's the same for me. Like as I got older and I don't obviously as an adult, you don't get as in fights really well, hopefully yeah you, but, you obviously want to avoid those situations yeah. so you don't go to jail yeah right. god but, i remember some of the beatings we gave each other as kids oh my god like yeah. like in this day and age we would have gone to jail like the beatings we delivered in our neighborhood were brutal and received you know like just brutal fights back in the the 70s and 80s were no joke of course no weapons were involved so everybody right. eventually healed Went home up and, and- yeah yeah licked their wounds and so on but holy smokes man yeah um so how do we feel about marty's plan to where he he, he's he's got to take advantage in your words i think even in his words of lorraine in the car for this plot for himself to to be able to exist i mean I feel like he's kind of backed into a corner on it. Like, I, I, I think, like, he's going off of the information that he has about Lorraine. Like, he knows that Lorraine is attracted to men who will stand up for her. Like, she flat right. out says so. And uh, she is obviously a person whose emotions kick in very quickly under extreme circumstances. 
And so I think his plan to create an extreme circumstance and then allow George to be the hero. I mean, it makes as much sense as anything, sure, you know, like he's, he's in a wild ass situation as you know. opposed to physically put his hands on his own mother. Why not just rob her at knife point? Something a little bit more controlled, <laughs> like, you know, like she did put on a mask, Robert at knife point. You're good. And let George save her. <laughs> let yeah. George come in and pull some sort of van damage and you're, you're done. I, I just, I, to me, I would have found another way. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's like there are definitely, the, definitely other the ways. the first idea. This well, will work. I mean, I think obviously a lot of this is some screenplay contri- contrivance to get Biff in there instead right. of Marty, you know, um, and I'm sure that they probably iterated on it quite a few times before they got it to this point where it all kind of flows and makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. Th- yeah, Marty could have gone in some other directions, but then again, like it has to be at the dance. They have to be there so they can have yeah. their first dance. So the story can kind of like, you know, converge with what their their getting together story really was and so on so yeah i think and, and we also have to remember marty is 17 you know like yeah he he's and definitely flying by the seat of his pants in a very weird and difficult situation uh i think there's a lot of desperation in his plan and uh i think he is showing some 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 wiliness and uh you know just do doing whatever he can to right. to keep existing like you know it's fun to watch but from his perspective his his very existence is at stake and so if he has to go to extreme measures to continue existing then he's gonna have to do that you know mm-hmm. so yeah uh marvin barry <sighs> <laughs> so uh the the lead singer of the band is marvin barry uh, who happens to be cousins with the famous Chuck Berry. And as they're playing a Chuck Berry song, he, of course, says, it's your cousin, Marvin Berry. You know that new sound you've been looking for? Listen to this. Yeah, a, probably a clever, funny joke in 1985. Doesn't play so well anymore. Uh, white guy comes in and invents... <laughs> invents chuck berry's sound which in turn inspires the rest of rock and roll for all eternity you know like kind of pulls some of that credit that chuck berry rightfully deserves for the invention of rock and roll (laughs) but that's a chuck berry song (laughs) it is a chuck berry song and so in a way it's still he invented it but he gets a little help from himself right (laughs) he hears his own song and he's like oh i'm going to now plagiarize that song i guess because <laughs> i don't know well yeah well back then like that didn't matter as much as it matters now everybody yeah. covered everybody's songs you know um but yeah i mean it, it is like kind of cyclical there with them kind of eating their own tail uh in the end maybe not the best choice also not the best choice to you know have all those guys be out in the car smoking weed you know yeah. <laughs> like Eh, 1985 i'm just gonna just say eh, 1985 and just kind of wave my hand at it like yeah um yeah i agree uh so the finale still works for me the the going back um just the 
the whole sequence with the clock tower to me is iconic. I think one of the things that I love so much is Christopher Lloyd's overacting. Oh, ah! like the yeah. times he yells, <laughs> like any time, like one of my favorite moments is when he's built the model of the town. Please excuse the crudity of this model. Well, and of course, yes, it looks fantastic. great. Yes, yeah, fantastic. And the the car goes over the edge, and some trash catches fire. And he goes, oh, and his mouth drops. Just <laughs> his fa- the times that Christopher Lloyd is acting without words in this movie, like when Lorraine comes to see them, and she's like moving in on Marty, and he's just giving the big eyes and. Love it. I love the part where Doc just kind of leans on the DeLorean. Yeah. And then Marty puts his arm and he's kind of <laughs> leaning on Doc and they're both sitting there giving her this look like she's crazy. Um, yeah, it's great. And I also love the way that they use the soundtrack to kind of accentuate Doc. Like the scene where he's looking at his watch is, damn, where is that kid? And the music goes, damn, damn, damn. Damn, 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 you know, like, uh, really great use. I mean, the soundtrack in this film in general is iconic out of 10, and, right? I mean, and fantastic. Is John yeah. Williams? It is not John who Williams. And this? honestly, I, I don't know offhand who it is, but whoever it is, out. fantastic, fantastic, iconic score. And uh, particularly uh, with Doc in general, like this is one of those scores where you hear just a little bit of it and you immediately know what it is you know yeah. like alvin silvesti good alvin. job alvin, alvin silvesti silvesti yeah yeah it's fantastic fantastic um i don't know what else to talk I, i'm really having a hard time <laughs> like well no it's fine i mean like obviously we both really love the movie yeah obviously the movie has been endlessly discussed to death you know like over the last 30 40 years i'm just really um, wanting to get to to well, you're not as familiar with two, admittedly. Right. Yeah. And then three, you haven't seen it all. So I'm looking forward to talking about those. Do you know what happens in three other than like, I mean, you you know he goes to the Old West, but. Uh, something with the train. There's uh, Mary Steenburgen is there. Yeah. Um, But plot wise, you're just kind of like. Uh, no yeah no okay i i I remember too to the extent where i remember like the book with the sports stuff in it and they're kind of there's something about the safe and there's hoverboards and i remember this is jaws gag um two is biff's movie two is where biff really is biff's biff's it up Biff's the main character and and i mean yeah it follows marty but it's all about biff Okay. So, like, the first one's about Marty. Actually, the first one's about George. The second one is about uh, Biff. And then the third one is about Doc. That's okay. how I would place them. And then Marty is in all of them as, like, the, the thread that ties it together. But, yeah. So, I, I think we're good. I mean, this is a 10 out of 10 movie for me. I watched it. I put it on last night thinking, oh, I'll get it halfway watched and I'll watch the other half in the morning. I've, I finished it. I just, I don't not finish back to the future no yeah same it's you start it you're in for it and it surprised me this time how quickly the movie moves like like i thought i was halfway through the movie and then like it was to the point where they're stringing up the stuff at the clock tower and i was like oh my god like we're already at the like because i consider everything from the dance on to be the end of the movie (laughs) it's actually probably just the second half of the movie right so much stuff happens but yeah this movie moves man like it really like it there's not a slow moment in this film it's fantastic 
so have you seen like the deleted scenes and stuff? So like, there's a reason why George oversleeps the night Darth Vader visits him, and I I think it's because he's on some meds or something. He gets over like uh, I think Marty doses him or something. Oh the, no! Yeah, and then so he oversleeps. Um, what was the other one? Oh, I'm blanking on it. But yeah, there's some deleted scenes, and I think if you have uh, the DVD set still, they're on there that kind of tell you why he oversleeps. So there's a various other like Easter eggs, like you know when uh, Doc the the cop is like, "Hey, do you have a permit?" He goes, "Of course I do," and he you see him actually pay money and. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, there's like things like that that are in the movie uh, that really are kind of cool. If you like, if, especially if you've seen the movie a billion times, there's these little things you're like, oh, that's why he said that. That's fun. I have seen a lot of the Eric Stoltz uh, alternate Ugh. takes. Um, interesting. Uh, I mean, it, it is interesting. I think, no, I mean, they got really far into it with that guy. Like, they six weeks of filming with that dude before they gave him the boot. That's enough uh, to do a movie a lot of times. Right. Yeah. They, just take six weeks. Yeah. They really, I, I read that like some of the scenes of Marty driving at the mall, it's actually Eric Stoltz in the car. Like they didn't refilm those parts. They just left the Eric Stoltz scenes in there. And, and uh, because it was far enough away that you couldn't really tell. Um, interesting. So I do have a few questions. I got, there are a few left that we haven't really talked about. Okay. Do you think if you went back in time, would you be friends with your parents? I did think about this as he's meeting George at the diner. Um, I think my mom, yes. My dad, no. Um, but I'm not certain about my dad. So it's kind of interesting. So when my dad was younger, he was more of the bible thumping guy right and then my mom was more of the grew up in the house of the bible thumpers and got into like smoking weed and getting out and about and you know having a little fun and then as they get older the roles kind of flip right <laughs> and my dad is the one who's out and about sowing his seeds and my mom is the one who's in church and um you know, so I think uh, going back and if I'm a high schooler, I think I'd probably get along with my mom. Um, I'm not so sure about my dad. Not so yeah. sure. That's interesting. Yeah, I I, I have similar like I'm, I'm just I'm unclear. You know, my mom, <laughs> my mom has always been a Lorraine. Like she has always portrayed herself as very good and very innocent and kind of uh reserved and quiet and you know so on as a kid but as we've gotten older my my sister and i have kind of grown to suspect that maybe she was a lorraine like yeah. that, that, <laughs> maybe she was a little wilder than she lets on you know um my dad was definitely wild and, and i was a wild kid too but I don't think we were wild in this in like a compatible way. Like yeah. I think like my my dad, I think I probably would have taken a step back from and just been like, this dude is dangerous. You know, like look at because I liked to go out and kick it and, you know, like be a little crazy. But I think my dad was probably like a little too crazy right. <laughs> for me. 
uh, where I'd have been like, oh, he's, he's going to crash the car and we're all going to die. Or, you know, <laughs> like I can't get in these fights with this guy, you know, like that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure how I would have gotten yeah. along with my parents. And I think, I think probably like Marty, I would have found them to be kind of surprising, you know, like that, like I, I also wonder if my kids would have liked me. You know, because I have some adult kids now. My oldest son is going to be 22 this year. And if he had gone back in time and met me as a teenager, I think he would have had the same reaction to me that I would have for my dad. I think he'd have been like, oh, this dude is too crazy. Like, (laughs) I can't hang out with him, you know? I think if my son went back, he'd be shocked at how um, introverted young Jeff was compared to how he is now. But he'd also play a bunch of video games with them. Uh, so I think Teddy would probably still hang out with me because I had video games. Um, but I was definitely not as confident in my youth as I am today. Yeah, I think my son would have liked daytime me, but he would have balked at nighttime me. You know? <laughs> I balked at nighttime you. I don't know what you got into. I just imagine it's a scene from like Scarface or something. <laughs> Just getting into stuff I shouldn't have been getting into. Yeah. Well, you know? I mean, I, I when in my youth I was big into shoplifting. Uh, I did shoplift quite a bit. Holy I, shit! <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of Van Damme movies, um, lots of movies. I, I I stole movies and CDs, like the two things I really loved but couldn't afford. So it was, uh, you know, I could I a lot of Van Damme movies I stole. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just, I mean, I just drank a lot and rambled around town going places where I had no business being, you know, like my friends and I had a list of places that we kept. My buddy had a a camper van and we would drive around in his, like a, like a, you know, like a a camper built into a van and uh we had a list like a paper hanging up there of places that we'd gotten thrown out of and <laughs> weren't allowed to come back to you know so we would just cause a ruckus you know not nothing dangerous nothing mean-spirited yeah. just you know dumb dumb stuff i got so. kicked out of a club once but it was just for underage drinking well, i got you kicked know. out a lot of places for yeah. underage drinking well i got kicked out of kmart one time i got caught shoplifting um, well, that's pretty good. Don't come in back in here unless you're with your parents. I'm like, you think I'm coming here with my parents so you can tell them what I've done? Are you out of your mind? And then, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stories about stealing that. Yeah, that's funny. I I would have never pegged you as a as a stealer, as a thief. Um, <laughs> boy, my dad went to He's like, how do you have all these movies? I'm like, yeah, I traded in some CDs. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. But nice, because <laughs> he thought I was doing the Columbia Music Company. Remember that, right? Oh, of Which course, was, yeah, yeah. Uh, doing get seven CDs for a penny, yeah, right? They never got a penny out of me, right? Get those first twelve movies and then never pay them. Yeah. Or Jeff H. <laughs> Gomer, who was the guy who ordered them. Um, yeah, that's funny. I got All right. the stuff. So. Uh, back to the future time travel rules. This is just something that I th- was thinking about today that I have never thought of before. I've always taken it as a matter of course that there is one timeline in Back to the Future and Marty's activities are altering that timeline, mm-hmm. right? Today I started thinking about, is Marty actually creating timeline branches 
with his actions, right? According so to the Mar- second movie, he is. Okay, so that means that in Marty's original timeline, where he starts the movie, Doc is still dead, and Marty has just disappeared, and he's left a dead Doc, a van full of Libyans in a photo mat, and a broken-hearted girlfriend who's never going camping, and he just never comes back. Yeah. Right? So that that George and Lorraine that we meet at the beginning, they're still there. Like, yeah. where the hell did Marty go? Doc is still dead, and, uh, you know, Biff is still pushing George around. And those people that we meet at the end of the movie are different versions of yeah. those people. Because in death. 2... <laughs> They, you know, they go to the future and um, he ends up, Biff gets a hold of the uh, the Brown Sports Almanac and then he creates a, another branch where evil Biff rules the world and they have to go back and fix that to get the timeline back on the right path. So yeah, yeah there is a branch where Marty is just gone. So... Yeah, kind of dark when you think about it. Again, it's like fine. like Marty's experiences are all well and good, but for all the people that are left behind in these uh, in these timeline branches that he's creating, maybe not so great. I think there are two, only two valid, reasonable time travel rules to me. One is that is from a book I read. I've talked about this on the Time Cop episode of Movie Draft House, where if you go back in time, you immediately obliterate your current existence like that future it's gone because you as soon as you set foot in that new world you've changed it yeah and that has just become the new norm or whatever is has always been so i'm trying to think of another movie where that happens where oh bill and ted so in bill and ted whatever is has always been so rufus always has come back to help Bill and Ted. And there is just one time, like, remember. That's how they can go back and try and plant stuff for themselves. Because what is has always been. And so I think, oddly enough, Bill and Ted has some, at least the first one, has some really good time travel rules to me. Uh, This one's a little... It's a little dicier. Like, I've always taken it. I've always taken it as uh, as what is has always been. But yeah. having watched it this time and kind of started thinking through it, I'm not so sure I'm buying that anymore, you know? And it's all, you know, obviously academic because Marty's not real and none of this shit ever happened. But- what? <laughs> <laughs> all right, last last question. Is Huey Lewis the benevolent god of the Back to the Future universe? Because he tells Marty he's just too darn loud? Well... He tells Marty he's just too down. He's in the movie. Yeah. His music is in the movie. There's a poster from his album in the movie. It's all very meta when it comes to Huey Lewis. And the only explanation is that Huey Lewis is a supernatural being like a guardian angel for Marty. Uh, He's around (laughs) Marty. He's he's watching over Marty. I'm not buying this (laughs) just yet, but I'm willing to allow you to sell me on it. All right, I'll think on it more. I'll come back to uh, Back to the Future 2 with more Huey Lewis evidence. Well, uh, if that was your last question, sadly, we have to wait two weeks to get to my favorite Back to the Future movie, The Empire Strikes Back of the uh, Back to the Future series. 
which actually parallels quite well. I mean, a lot of people love the first one. Well, no, never mind. Not everybody thinks the second one's the best. Anyway, whatever. Who cares? We have to watch Always next. Uh, we put it off. And now we'll watch it, I guess. But the high point, though, is that Audrey Hepburn is in it. And I do love Audrey is she, Hepburn. How old is she in that? She's real old, man. Like okay. I think this is like her very last film appearance. But I still love her. Uh, I, I love uh, her in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, what's the musical with the guy who teaches her not to be? Gigi? All... Nah, there's another My one. Fair Lady. That's the one. Yeah. I just, uh, I really. Who knew? Who knew that I knew so much? That's good. Yeah, well done. <laughs> so yeah, I'm interested. In, I, I've seen, I've seen always once, uh, much like uh, the Emperor, the last Empire. Of the uh, Sun. Empire. Yeah. Thought, yeah, much like that. I, I picked it up on VHS once when I was like in my 20s and watched it just because I felt that I should. And yeah. so I'm interested in seeing it again and see what I, I really think of it. So, Well, if you want more from Eric and myself, check the show notes. I'm not going to go through it all. It's all there. Okay. You just clickety-clack it if you want to find out about what we're doing. Uh, we'll be back in another week. Uh, you're going to be positively sick of us over the next six weeks as we, uh, well, five now, four, whatever, as we watch Back to the Future, and we'll so we'll be in your queue, your your queue a little more. And we might even do more bonus episodes after Back to the Future. Oh no, we I will. see no reason to really stop. Like, no, absolutely we will. But <laughs> I just don't know that we're going to be weekly. I like the freedom of saying, you know what? Not this week. Right, 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 right. I right. have enough. I got to finish this Van Damme thing. Even though by the time this comes out, it's long done. But I'm still in the thick of it as of this time recording. So. We will see you next week for always. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all.